You're listening to Agile Next, the next generation Agile talk show. I'm Daniel Gulo. And I'm Stephen Forte. Each week, we ask industry leaders to share their past experiences with Agile practices and to provide their insights into where Agile is heading to next. The show is available on SoundCloud, iTunes, and by visiting our website at www.agilenext.tv. This episode is brought to you by Applebrook Consulting and Fresco Capital. Whatever your Agile needs, Applebrook Consulting can help with training and coaching. Visit our website at www.apple-brook.com. Fresco Capital is a global venture capital firm focusing on entrepreneurs building global businesses. Visit our website at fresco.vc. Episode 1, June 16th, 2016. Today on our show, we have Lisa Atkins. Lisa is co-founder of the Agile Coaching Institute along with Michael Spade. And Lisa has extensive experience coaching organizations through their Agile journey. She's literally written the book on Agile coaching entitled Coaching Agile Teams. And Lisa also has a deep background in project management, as well as an impressive portfolio of clients and former employers. So Lisa, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. These days, Agile kind of seems to be a little bit of an overloaded term, um, as well as coaching does, really. So how do you define Agile coaching? Things are changing for the Agile world a lot as Agile has crossed the chasm and we're now into, um, you know, the world where Gartner Group says, uh, big corporations, you're stupid if you don't do it. And so big corporations are all doing it. Um, So that's not necessarily a bad or a good thing in itself. But what it means is that we have the opportunity to um, do Agile more tactically, more instrumentally than in prior um, eras. And so I think that's what's happened as I, as I look about like the big stretch of time. I think that's one thing I see has happened to Agile and maybe why the word Agile has gotten watered down. I can't be guaranteed that when I say Agile and someone else says Agile, we're talking about the same thing. So there's a, now an additional communication overhead of figuring out, is my Agile the same as your Agile, the same as that guy's Agile? Because if we're all going to work together, we need to sync up on this. And do you perceive that as a oh, do you see, perceive that as a big threat? A threat to what? A, a threat to just implementation that we're all using different definitions of agile. That you know we might fail in one organization, and it was clearly not something that was agile. Then they go to the next organization, and then they you know they they have a bad taste in their mouth. Yeah, well, I'm certainly seeing that. I'm even seeing that inside of a given organization that agile becomes a bad word pretty quickly. And so that's one of the things that um, I pay attention to when I help an organization figure out what its internal agile coach development path is, is is the big question of have you already lost the brand, like the brand of big A agile, agile done well, agile done in the way that will actually give you the results you're hoping for and intending. Um, And many organizations have. They've already lost the brand. And so that's a more difficult situation to work in, for sure. And so I don't know what's going to happen long term. I mean, you just think about capitalism. We actually did a pretty poor job implementing that as a concept. And so now we're coming back, you know, well, a couple hundred years later and picking up some of the finer um, points of it with uh, movements like conscious capitalism and that sort of stuff. But um, so I think, I think we're implementing Agile just about as well as we do most things, which is to say not very well. 
It's fascinating that you uh, make an analogy over to capitalism. I, I went to uh, business school and I also went to do a master's in economics. And I used to think of myself as a big libertarian. And one of my professors sat me down over at London School of Economics and he goes, Stephen, the role of the government is to fix market inefficiencies. And it really struck me. I, I really, it really changed my worldview and to some extent a little bit of my political view. And and I feel that the government has been able to play that hand where the, as you said, we, we might not have implemented capitalism all that well because we let the banks get out of control and do all these crazy things. And then the government stepped in and rightfully or wrongfully, they've tried to address the problem. And mm -hmm. there mm -hmm. is no government, so per se, in, in fixing Agile. Yeah, so in your analogy- oh, what Interesting, interesting concept. Yeah, I'm digging this conversation. Yeah. So what what would so, you think could be the government? Like, should there be like a council of elders or should there be, should we go to the UN and say, a you're round table <laughs> the of round table. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> the Jedi yeah, the council, council of Agile? Well, so it's been suggested to me lately that Agile coaches are to Agile what project managers were to plan-driven methods like waterfall. And initially I go, oh my God, are you serious? But then if I think about it a little bit more and I, and I just kind of allow myself to relax around my hurt and trauma in the, from the project management days, I can kind of see that there, there is an analogy. Um, and I think that it, maybe it's going to move toward a governance thing, I'm not sure, or like a government step-in kind of thing. I don't know. But so let me get the idea out, which is that in the waterfall days, project managers ensured the use of waterfall, basically. You know, I mean, I was one of them. I, you know, we followed the process. We got this phase gate coming up. Nope, sorry, you can't do that until this is done. You know, all that sort of thing. Now, not at all in the same way, but analogous to it, if we have competent agile coaches in an organization, they would be helping the organization use agile well, which is a little bit different than how we did it in the plan-driven um, days. You know, that was a lot of telling in the plan-driven days. This is a lot of coaching in the modern day, the more complex era. Um, but it's possible that, um, that a council of agile coaches, and in fact, I even, I just realized I even said this in a recent white paper, that that's a cornerstone for organization agility, not a council per se, but, but like a really healthy agile coaching capability inside of an organization I see that as a cornerstone for organizational agility. So, so overall, I mean, when we're, when we're getting to the crux of what an agile coach really is, it goes well beyond just, you know, ensuring people are going to stand-ups and, and that kind of thing. Oh, my gosh. Now see, see, that would be an agile coach with a project manager mindset. Check in the box. You know, did you do this? Did you do that? Da, da, da. And, you know, there's, there are reliable ways to create those capabilities now that we didn't have even you know, three years ago. So I think that the, the chances of us doing it are quite good and organizations are in enough pain that they might actually, um, well, I'm seeing evidence that they're paying attention to this now. So one could hope. How do we organize the coaches to think about the future and come up with the Agile Jedo Council without any politics and egos and things like that? We can't. So we're going to have all that to deal with until people's complexity of mind moves to a place that's beyond ego. And there are plenty of people in the world right now making that transition. I don't think we're going to find them in the large Fortune 100 companies by and large. So I wouldn't necessarily say, you know, let's focus all our attention on those organizations. Um, 
I'd love to see us focus attention on organizations where we do have people making that leap to a, a greater complexity of mind that actually matches the complexity of the world around us. In your opinion, then, Lisa, how how will agile coaches help us really move the needle in terms of organizational agility and also just agile in general? So some of this stuff is going to sound so um, simple that you'd be like, oh, yeah, but aren't we already doing that? But I actually don't think we are in most of these things I'm about to say. So it. My, my work in the world primarily is teaching and coaching um, scrum masters, Kanban leads, agile coaches, really all the way up to the enterprise level. But I really focus most of my year on the scrum master level to the uh, multi-team coach, like program level, right? So that's my vantage point. My vantage point is not individual experiences that I, are, that I have inside of organizations. So it's a totally different view. From the vantage point that I have, which is a pretty unique one, um, I see like across the industry and across all the industries that are using Agile because our students come from all different size companies, all different industries, that sort of thing. And, and in our classes, we work with real life situations. There's no role play. So we get to hear all of the like really gnarly things they're, they're struggling with. And... Um, and by and large, the skills that we're teaching are still hitting home. So, for example, um, this, the primary skill that I think a Scrum Master needs and that I really, really focus on is, is shifting their mindset from running meetings to facilitating meetings. And that seems so simple. It's like, oh, yeah, duh, of course. But do you know how many Scrum Masters are in the middle of every single conversation? On their teams, they are not at all facilitating, and in fact, all they're doing is being opinionated. So they're not even functioning at any kind of process level that would help the team have greater and better conversations and therefore yield greater and better outcomes for the organization. So, I mean, that's still valid. So I think that, you know, you get scrum masters who um, start to learn how to facilitate, start to learn how to increase the capabilities of the teams, therefore the teams will deliver more, Therefore, Agile will be more healthy. So, I mean, that's just the most simplistic view of it. And how do we do that? Um, you know, Scrum Masters are usually either a reformed project manager or a team lead that is probably just a little bit more extroverted. So they said, hey, you go and be a Scrum Master. Is there a way? I mean, we've tried this with certification. We've tried this with conferences. Is there a way we can maybe start guiding the, the Scrum Masters a little better as a community? Or is it something that just has to evolve over time? Well, I mean, I can't talk about this without talking about what we do at Agile Coaching Institute. So there's a part of this that's going to be like an ad, but I don't mean it to be. But I just don't know what else to tell you. Because I don't think, you know, getting exposed to facilitation techniques at conferences is going to do it. And I don't think reading about it is going to do it. Because what we're dealing with primarily at the base level is that it's not just like picking up the latest facilitation techniques. It's literally going on that... Um, often confronting journey where you realize, oh my God, I'm the problem. I'm the reason they're not self-organizing. I'm the reason they're not being collaborative. Holy crap, everything I thought I was doing that was useful is actually not. Oh, wow, now what the hell am I gonna do? And so only transformational education can create that kind of space for people to explore um, that, that identity crisis. And, and fundamentally, that's what I think we're going through in most organizations is that for most people, 
who have been in the work world for a while, Agile creates an identity crisis, and we have to deal with it. What are the analogous identity crises or changes that Agile coaches go through? There's two of them. Um, so when I say Agile coach, you know, this is another one of those really overloaded terms, but let's just say this is anyone working at a, a multi-team level, right? So their sphere of influence might be very different, but they're working at a multi-team level. They would be typically be helping other scrum masters be really good at their role, product owners to be good at their role. Um, they have a little more experience so they can help, you know, dive into a team that's having some difficult conflict where that scrum master might not be, you know, skilled enough to deal with it. So that's what I'm talking about as an agile coach. And that person goes through uh, two really important things. Number one is they start to recover from their problem-solving addiction. Most agile coaches we meet in our classes have a problem-solving addiction. And then let me tell you the second thing, and then we can pull apart any of this that you want. The second thing that they go through is they start to get some tools that allow them to see the complex situations they're in more, more completely and honoring the complexity instead of dumbing it down for the purpose of figuring out multiple interventions they could take for this complex situation and consciously choosing one. And right now what we see in most Agile coaches who we interact with is that they are doing what they learned without thinking at all about, oh my gosh, is this the highest impact intervention I could possibly make? Because they're not looking completely, at, like holistically at the situation. So those are the two things, recovering from the problem-solving addiction and looking holistically to choose interventions. And let's jump in on those a little bit deeper. For the problem-solving addiction, if you're a coach and you see a glaring problem and you know that you can fix it, or just in general, there's, you're in there trying to fix things, you think you're in there to try to fix things, how, how does a coach overcome that? And how do the problems actually get solved with the coach's influence, but without the coach actually solving the problem? All right, so here's where professional coaching is going to come in, because it's not going to be influence. Influence and teaching and mentoring are not the skills that allow people to change. Professional coaching is. And facilitation also. So, so you were asking, like at the very beginning of this podcast, what is coaching? That's a pretty overloaded term. Yeah, it's a completely overloaded term. When I think about the skill sets of someone who's doing agile coaching, there's definitely the mentoring and the teaching. And that's what you're talking about, Stephen. You know, like if I have the answer, shouldn't I give it to them? In many cases, you should. And then, so th on that side of the skill set, um, we say that they're willing to tolerate you because you have content authority. You actually know more than they do about the subject, and they're willing to trust you and go with you, right? So that's an important piece of the, or the important skill, two skill sets that the Agile coach brings in. On the other side of the coin are two other skill sets where it actually is useful for you to boycott your subject matter expertise. And those skill sets are facilitation and professional coaching. And in those situations, people are willing to be led by you because you have process authority. You know more about certain processes that are going to allow them to figure out the answers and have them get catapulted into some type of action they're actually willing to take. So both sides of the equation, both, both the content authority and the process authority are really important. And you got to figure out which one to use when. Because there's no like recipe of like, you know, 24.5% of my day I'm going to use this skill and then the other time I'm going to use this skill and the other time this skill. It's very much you're finding yourself in this situation and asking the question, what's going to be of service? 
So here's the deal. We are now in a world where human relationships are the things that get the work done. And none of us got relationship skills taught to us in school. Most of us didn't anyway. I hope that maybe our kids will start to get it. My daughter's 18. She certainly hasn't gotten it. She's had to get that at home. Most of us at home don't have their relationship skills. So most of the people in the workplace just don't have relationship skills. If you think about it, at the bottom line end of it is like people have gotten really skilled in teaching and, and mentoring, basically telling people, fixing stuff. That's really useful. And then there's this whole thing of like, oh my gosh, we're in this incredibly complex situation. There's not a right or wrong answer. In fact, it's a lot of shades of gray. Holy moly, which way do we go? So that, that, that's not a situation that's tailor-made for the fixing side of things. It's tailor-made more for uh, ex exploratory and more for helping people tap, in their inner, tap into their inner resourcefulness, um, the voice that inside of them that actually does know but doesn't know that it knows yet. And so that's what professional coaching does. Professional coaching is uh, where, where I, when I'm using that skill set, I remain completely neutral to what people are saying. And I keep bringing it back to them. I coach them, not their problem. And I expect that they can solve their problem. And so you were asking, if I don't tell them and don't fix it for them, how in the world will they, you know, how in the world will the problems get solved? Well, here's what I've learned. These people are pretty freaking smart. In fact, they're way smarter than I gave them credit for when I was busy telling them what to do all the time. So as I have learned to use the skills of professional coaching, I found out that people really are naturally creative and whole. Oh my gosh, they are. And if I can listen fully, and if I can ask them questions that help them tap into their inner resourcefulness, then they're going to choose to do things that they will actually do. I don't know what you guys experience, but when I stay over there on the telling side, the teaching and the mentoring, sometimes I offer stuff that they will say they do, but then they won't do. When you start going down the path of telling and, and mentoring and, and so forth too much, it, it kind of inhibits the creativity and, and innovation. That's such a great thing that you bring that in, because in a nutshell, what we're trying to do is create collaborative environments in which people are... Um, are self-authoring. They're authoring their own path, right? If you keep telling them what to do, you're authoring their path. Exactly. So the bottom line is I'm in this for sustainable agile. And to me, sustainable agile means that people have figured out how to make this new way of working their own. So yes, it's totally appropriate for me to tell them stuff, for me to mentor them and teach them, especially in the beginning. And then there's a time when I've just actually put myself right in the center and become a critical part of their process and they can't do it without me. And that's the trap. That's when it's not sustainable. And, and oftentimes it, it seems like when people are in problem solving mode, as we've been discussing, um, you know, they're looking at local optimization rather than you know, op optimizing the system. That kind of touches on your second point of, you know, just automatically doing things and maybe even just parroting things back without really thinking holistically. Yeah, that's so cool that you bring that in. I hadn't thought about that. So I'm having a good time in this conversation. Yeah, we went down the road of um, government intervention in the economy. And, <laughs> and full circle back to lean. And full circle back to lean. <laughs> I mean, basically, I mean, the whole world is kind of in this shift from an industrial, well, kind of. Let me just make it really plain. The whole world is in a huge shift from an industrial mindset to an ecosystem mindset. 
everything, like our, our worldviews are shifting that way, or the way we imagine organizations are shifting that way. So, of course, you know, our minds, our complexity of our mind needs to shift that way, too. And that's really, see, Agile is just a harbinger of all that stuff. I think about Agile as just, it's just an emergent response to a more complex world. You know, it's beautiful for that. And, and one thing that I think about just from what you just said is that organizations are now getting smaller and less complex because they're now able to strategically outsource things. I think of things like payroll, benefits for benefits. There's no longer 10 people in HR. There's also uh, design is being outsourced and you know facilitation and things like that. So as, as organizations are definitely evolving to think differently and, and be smaller, and I think it dovetails nicely into what you've just been saying, that the future of the organization is going to be smaller and they're going to have to be more reactive. I mean, what, what do you think about that? Well, I, there's a little thing I want to clean up in there a little bit because I'm, I'm stuck on it. So as organizations have become smaller because they're outsourcing stuff, um, I think they might be just as complex, but they're getting less com um, complicated. So basically, most large organizations have overcomplicated themselves. Because there's all this Harvard Business Review uh, research and Robert Keegan and other people that, that basically talk about how as the complexity of the world around us has increased, um, organizations, especially large ones, have responded by overcomplicating complicating their processes to try to meet that complexity, but that's a totally, that's, that's ill-formed, right? The only thing that meets complexity is, um, is basically what Agile is, right? It's a, it's a inspect and adapt way of moving forward. So I love the fact that you're talking about, you know, benefits and all this sort of thing, and, 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 and we can outsource that stuff and get, get the stuff that's not our core competency off of our plate. That is really cool. But the complexity of the world around us and the pressures that puts on modern business are still increasing. So I think our, our complexity of our world is still increasing and the complexity on business is still increasing. The common problem we see with, you know, global organizations have offices and branches and so forth in many different parts of the world. Um, so, you know, how do we deal with the challenges of working with teams and, and folks that are in remote locations? And building a culture around that. You know, it's totally possible to do remote work beautifully. At, at Agile Coaching Institute, we don't have a brick-and-mortar presence. We have 10 people. Um, we create courses, even, you know, that are transformational for people when we deliver them. We create them with no one being in the same physical space. So if you have really accomplished individual collaborators, the virtual stuff doesn't present a challenge. And we're getting better technology. So um, I'm, we're using a new technology for our competence cohort that is just amazing. Everyone can see everyone. It's easy to put people in breakout rooms so they can have private conversations and come back. And so like all of that is possible. What we have in most modern corporations are people who are not good individual collaborators. They don't actually don't know how to do it. Um, and so we're now we're right smack dab back to the question of, well, who is in the room, virtual or otherwise, with them all day long who can help them be better at this. Well, the scrum master or Kanban lead or iteration manager or whatever you call that role, that's the person in the room. And so I think that, I think that to help those situations be better, that those um, scrum masters and coaches in the room need to be upskilled. It's totally possible, but it's real different. 
Now that brings us to a great question is we like to ask people on the show where they think agile is going next. And I'd like to frame that question as not just agile, but you know, for the entire organization, since that's where we've been scoping some things. So where do you think agile and its influence over the entire organization is headed next? Well, I think what's happening with organizations, um, if you look at some of the statistics about the fortune 100 is that, um, where organizations are going next, many of them, is into the grave. We've seen um, a switch out or a dying of Fortune 100 organizations in this last 10-year period greater than any other 10-year period previous. And that makes a lot of sense to me because there are just some organizations that have gotten so large and cumbersome and the situation we had earlier, like, well, how do we deal with multiple continent distributed teams and blah, 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 all this over complexification, not complexification, complication that people have um, created, a lot of those organizations are just going to die. And that's actually appropriate. So when I think about Agile and I think about organizations in a larger scale, it is my great hope that we Agilists that have something that, uh, that can help people not only survive but actually thrive in a complex world. You know, something that actually harnesses change for good. Change is not a problem. Change is fantastic. Our core competence is change. We know how to deal with that as Agilists, right? So it's my great hope that people like us will start to work with organizations that are going to thrive and start understanding that some of the places where we are planted are organizations that are on life support. And it might be more humane to understand that they need to move to hospice care. And so as I look at the large scale, I'm really asking every Agilist out there, you know, people who really love this thing and see how it can be a force for good. I mean, really ask yourself the question, can you be satisfied with what you're able to do where you're planted? And if not, you can always pick up your roots and go somewhere else. And you feel Agile is the medicine that can start saving some of these corporations from going into the grave? No, I don't. I don't think that. I think that if we're trying to use Agile as a medicine for corporations that are on life support, um, we're just going to be hitting our heads against the wall. We're going to have very bloody heads and those corporations are still going to die. It's, it's interesting you say that because early in my career when Scrum first came out, I remember being overseas and asking people, how many of you in the room work at an, a dysfunctional organization or a dysfunctional team and they all raise their hand. And then I say, how many of you think that Scrum or Agile will fix that? And they all raise their hand. And I said, actually, Scrum's going to make it worse. I said, because it's just going to expose your dysfunction sooner. I said, that's great, right? It gives you the opportunity to, gives you the opportunity to address it and it's up to you to address it. So I hear your point that Agile is not the medicine. It's more of the, um, the shot in the arm to get you to address it. So what would, is there a silver bullet or, or, um, you know, or is it just going to be a, a, a bitter pill that has to be taken? Well, I think Agile done well is phenomenal. I mean, I have seen uh, teams and organizations excel beyond my wildest dreams doing Agile well. Now, the phrase doing it well needs to be paid attention to, though. If you can't do it well, then okay, if, fine, tread water in the organization you're in for as long as you possibly can. Or if you can find, if some people find a lot of satisfaction in helping, you know, a pocket of teams here or a pocket of teams there be really good and helping, you know, kind of infect people with the Agile virus in a really positive way. And those people then eventually leave and go to other organizations. And some, some people can be happy with that. 
if, if you really, as an Agilist, want to help an organization do Agile well, and actually take in those uh, the underpinnings of Lean and the value system that Agile comes from, then you got to ask yourself, am I in the right place? Very deep, profound question to ponder. You know, are you happy in your organization? Yeah, and not only that, I mean, let's just say like, you know, like democracy is actually not a solution for every country in the world. Agile is not a solution for every organization. And so there are some that would be much better left alone. And, and who's to say? I mean, we Agilists come in and we're asking people to operate from a value system that might be several levels further, um, further away in human development than they're actually at. That's inhumane to me. It's just an amazing viewpoint because you're absolutely correct. We're sometimes forcing people into a value system that they may not be capable of accepting. And then the, the system rejects it. And then we try again with some other, you know, like... Um, new case study that's going to convince them or, you know, some other program that comes in or some other flavor, you know, oh my gosh. And we just keep going around and around and around. Do you feel that the better solution would be to let them evolve in their own way? And they may, they may evolve to be, you know, elephants with wings. And then we could take, take that evolution into the agile culture itself. That sounds good to me. I mean, basically, um, what I'm saying is that if, if Agile coaches, if Scrum Masters, Agile coaches, Agilists in general, if you cannot align with what is really trying to happen in that organization, if you cannot feel like you are integri in integrity in working with what's trying to happen, different from what you want to happen, different from what you are forcing to happen, if you can align and you can be happy, great. If you can't, that's the time to go because you might be doing damage. That touches on the self-awareness aspect of, of coaches, right? Yeah, good point. It takes some skill to notice that that's what's happening, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Lisa, what, what does the rest of 2016 look like for you? What do you have on your horizon in terms of projects you're working on, books, maybe talking engagements and, and so on? Well, in terms of talking engagements, that's really simple. I'll be given um, one of the closing 10-minute um, keynotes at the Scrum Gathering at the end of April this month, which is really awesome fun. Um, and then I'll be giving um, one session at Agile 2016 uh, with a, um, a student and colleague of mine, Tim Myers from Booz Allen Hamilton. We're talking about this idea of servant learnership and what the two of us have learned from him being on a pathway of developing himself as an Agile coach from the Scrum Master of one team to now um, being the co-creator of a program that impacts 1,800 people at Booz Allen um, and their ability to use Agile well. And so, he's, and so he's followed the Agile Coaching Institute development path that whole time, including the competence cohort. And so um, we're talking about what we've both learned as student and teacher, and then when our roles reverse as teacher and student. <laughs> so, so that'll be fun. Um, other than that, I've got my sights really set on continuing to uh, raise the level of agile coaching skill everywhere, everywhere I possibly can. Uh, there's always tons of speaking engagements all year long related to that, plus our courses. Um, and and I'm really um, starting to move into the organization um, with Agile Coaching Institute to do um, more strategic work with organizations to help them understand where they are in their Agile transformation 
and what kind of agile coaching capability would match that and would help them achieve whatever vision they have for agile. So that's been great fun. This has been great. It's been a very thought provoking and even for me, some self-reflecting. So I'd like to thank, um, thank you for being on the show, Lisa. You're welcome. I'm always uh, shocked at what comes out of my mouth. So um, it's fun. It's fun to find out what I think. Next week on the show, we have Richard Hunhausen, who will address some topics from scrum.org as well as scaling. I hope you can join us. A big Agile Next thank you to our sponsors, Fresco Capital and Applebrook Consulting. Visit Fresco Capital at frescocapital.com and Applebrook Consulting at apple-brook.com. We hope to see you next week on Agile Next. In the meantime, check out our website at agilenext.tv. 